Well, hello there, everyone. We've reached our cruising altitude. I'm not your pilot, but I'm glad you're cruising, wherever you're cruising, at whatever altitude you're cruising at. I'm hoping that you are not in Death Valley, the lowest part of the world, where it's probably too hot to even think. We are coming to you from Portland, Oregon. As we're recording, it's 114 degrees. I feel like a pilot because I got my headset on with my co-pilot, Stacy, or maybe I'm the co-pilot. But as we're cruising through this conversation, we're keeping our air conditioning on because it is hot outside. It is really, really hot. We're going to talk on this show about hot and cold as it comes to a way of seeing the world in terms of a holistic understanding of diet and life, and it's known as Ayurveda. It's literally the science of life or the knowledge of life, Ayurveda. We often think about it in terms of diet in the West. That's where Westerners end up thinking about incorporating it into their lives. It comes from Indian philosophy, and it's really, really old, like 5,000 years old. And it deals with the ways in which food should be eaten uh, mindfully, it should be not processed. We'll talk about all the principles of it. Uh, but in many ways, this is something that, like other religious and philosophical and ethical traditions from other places in the world, we, as we want to look at these, especially people from a Western background or a certainly a non-spiritual background when it comes to food and medicine, and we maybe have more of a, a secular or scientific-centered approach to diet and medicine, this is going to be something that's alternative. In fact, that's, that's really what this is. In many ways, this is a, a way of thinking about food as a type of alternative medicine. So we'll be talking about the ways in which there are things that we want to appropriate, where there are things we say, hey, this is great, let's, let's consider this. And there are other things that maybe help us to realize not just that there might be some superstitions or some ways of thinking about food that aren't scientifically verifiable or falsifiable. We've got to realize that wherever we come from, whatever our cultural and philosophical and religious backgrounds are, whatever our background might be in terms of our philosophy and ethics and uh, the dietary assumptions of our culture, we probably have some things that we could think critically about ourselves. So this is in no way an, an attempt to just, you know, attack anything, nor is it an attempt on our part to sell you fine people on some new ancient way of thinking about your diet. It's a way for us all to explore on this uh, fourth season of our podcast, this journey where we're looking at what we take into ourselves, into our bodies, what do we consume and how does that affect us and how does it line up with our, our spiritual values and our ethical goals? Friends, we're so glad you're here for uh, this ride with us. Let's go. Hey, so Stacy, how you how you dig in this weather? <laughs> well, I, I'm surprised, that's for sure. <laughs> we didn't really expect to almost even see summer this summer because we've been going up the coast. and, and it's <laughs> You were getting a little melancholic. You were saying, hey, I, I'm worried. I mean, you know, you were worried that you weren't going to get that yeah. feeling of summer. Right. Now I you got too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if we had even been... Uh, along the coast, instead of uh, veering in towards Portland, then we would have definitely felt like we would not have experienced this heat wave. I see. <laughs> so that's true. Basically, it's because we went inland a little bit, and it's a, it's amazing how much of a difference even oh, just yeah. an hour inland makes. Being right on the coast mm -hmm. was almost always socked in as we were coming up, but in June, sometimes that's the nature of things on the West Coast. Yeah. But uh, it, it's too hot for us to go to the beach today. <laughs> too hot for us to launch our kayak on the river that is right behind where we're sitting right yeah, now. Yeah, there's not a lot of shade over there. No, I'm not so doing it. I'm not touching it. Okay. I was just hot looking at people. And they're as not they were recommending paddling. swimming in the river. So if you can't jump, you know, jump off and cool down. <laughs> no, thank no, you. No, no, not no. this particular one. But Stacy, as we, we looked at this, we were in Florence and there was this shop opening. It was a spiritual bookstore. Yes. We thought, well, okay, 
let's pop in. This yeah, is it, it's got, got the Christian section and it's got the Druid section and the Hermetic traditions. You know, uh, well, this is interesting. Let's pop in. And of course, as we're on this podcast series uh, this season, this season we're talking about the spirituality of food. We said, you know, we we probably should dig into this conversation about uh, you know the Ayurvedic principles of eating Mm -hmm. and of course as we said you know as i hopefully made clear in the the introduction there in the cold open this is something that's very new to us so we're not coming at this as experts right not at all as well as even in trying to research it we realized how very little information there really is about it yeah there's a you know a few of the standard things that everybody gets down you want to explain that to well, us yeah, yeah, bit, yeah. I was saying like, you know. little information. There's a lot on it, yeah, but it's just repetitive. Yes, people, even in like these scientific journals, spend a lot of their time just breaking down all of these ancient categories of foods and categories of people and what foods go with what people. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then they get to one little piece of research at the <laughs> end that's not necessarily conclusive. Sometimes it's not a research article. Maybe it's just a piece for a yoga magazine or whatever. So there's a lot of chatter about it. But not a lot of clarity, even in some ways from India, where the, uh, you know, the the official government has looked into it because it affects people's, um, you know, health. You know, I mean, (laughs) the the national public good for a country is going to be affected by beliefs about whether or not you should vaccinate your kids or whether you should eat, you know, a certain kind of protein-rich food that might be good for the economy but bad for the environment or good for those but not for the people. I mean, uh, the, the ways in which governments need to honor their culture but also recognize public health problems yeah. that might come from it. And one example is the idea that there are certain trace minerals or uh, elements, you know, metals that might be included in therapeutic practice. That is something that you normally don't see in the West. That is, for the same reason you don't see this in, in, uh, in say, Taoism in the West. There's an ancient tradition, to go back to Taoism, there's an ancient tradition of uh, external alchemy. And uh, in, in Chinese thought, in, in Taoist mm-hmm. thought, where lead and mercury might be included in your uh, in your elixirs. Well, you don't want to be drinking <laughs> no, lead no, and mercury. No, no, of course not. So, so that was bad, right? right? So there are these ancient, respectable hypotheses mm-hmm. that turned out not to work in Taoist alchemy. Right. Now, there is still something really interesting I've been reading this week about Taoist alchemy as it's moved into like this internal alchemy, how to think about these mixtures as symbolic, right? Mercury and lead is symbolic rather than literal. Okay, that's fine. But you have to do that after you try and test the hypothesis that this, you know, cinnabar might give you eternal life or something. Well, when when I saw that this was an issue also in India, I realized this is something that was common to ancient people kind of across the the world. Yeah. And that is it, it it deals with a lot of intuitive wisdom and and folk traditions that also have some value to it to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, but in 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 this idea that you might have minerals that we can test now, metals that we could test now and and show them to be toxic. That doesn't mean it's the end of the story because sometimes, you know, like we can have something that seems toxic that can can work some some good magic in right, our bodies, right? right? Well, I, mean, I guess uh, what's like we do? How to, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> yeah, right. how we treat cancer, right? But let's be careful about it, right? And in any case, uh, the same. But thing, you're not saying lead should be used in that way. You're no. not. <laughs> well, no, just, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just want to make it clear. No, I guess I'm saying though that 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 maybe we can s- start with this part of the positive, which is Western science is almost too closed off too sometimes to these possibilities. Mm-hmm. We, we we know that lead and, and mercury are bad, right? Right. But um, we also know that, that uh, snake uh, venom is bad, mm-hmm. but you can turn snake venom into some things that are helpful, right? right? So there are, there are ways in which, like, you might have something that is uh, uh, going to paralyze a part of the body, but you might use it for some therapeutic purpose, right? So sometimes there have been animal stings that people have turned, you know, venoms that they've turned into to therapies. You know, so it's, it's totally possible. Mm-hmm. But my point, my point is, is that 
in many ways, once you get to something being ancient and traditional, sometimes it's difficult for people to really critically research it right. with full openness. And I think this is especially true with people not wanting to be culturally insensitive, yes. you know? So I'll see it, for instance, in many cases, um, you know, there aren't as many helpful critical studies because people don't want to go out in a peer-reviewed journal and say, basically, this is all bogus. Because mm -hmm. then you just get all this chatter, right? I mean, even something that's totally obvious, if you're saying, hey, look, uh, you know, vaccines are good for your kids, you could get death threats. Right. People get really well, fired up. So and, and if, this, you, if you anger a whole, yeah. <laughs> whole culture. Yeah, and this reminds me, when I was doing my research on... This, this whole thing. Uh, basically, um, I came across a, a, a TED Talk with uh, a Dr. Hedge, mm -hmm. and he had a pretty good quote here. And he started, this is how he basically started his whole talk, and now I understand exactly why. Mm -hmm. He said, science is change. If it doesn't change, it's not science. Anything that doesn't change is religion. What, di what does is science. And so I think what he's trying to say here is there are some positive things I'm going to say, but there's also going to be some negative things. Right. Giving himself permission to do that by saying, unless, you know, if it, this is not for me a religion. And if this is, if this is the science of life, yeah. then it, you have to be able to sort of see some of the errors and some of the ways. But I, I love that. Yeah. Otherwise, it's religion. Now, as a, as a dude who studies not primarily nutrition in India, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not my field. I do study the history of religion, and I might take exception to his definition of religion as being the stuff that doesn't change. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a way in which spirituality and religion are constantly adapting and fluctuating. But when people are dogmatic, I like what he said, if I can interpret it in my own way, mm -hmm. philosophically, that dogmatism is not science, in the sense that right. we are going to stick with this and we're not going to change. And so I think it's interesting how that dogmatism does play into people's fear in the Western literature of being straightforward about their criticisms. Right. I just think that's really interesting. Again, there's been such a long history of white colonial powers going in and saying, you guys are stupid and superstitious, that it's just not it's not politically sensitive to do right. uh, to do that. And more importantly, that, that humility is really helpful because I think you probably saw some things that were helpful and I saw some things that were mm -hmm. helpful in it. And, well, uh, and, and, and that's a good thing. Well, so you and, don't want to just other, throw, it, throw it all out. The other thing to keep in mind is this, as you mentioned, is really, really old. Like, you know, somewhere, maybe even like up to 5,000 years old. Right. And mm -hmm. so, and for the ideas that they had, they were ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. And there, so there was a lot of things, like you say, if it comes along and we realize, okay, they were really, really helpful in a lot of areas, um, but then new knowledge comes, right? And, yeah. and so then there's going to be things that will replace some of it. Let's put this historically. The Chinese and the Persians and the Indians had better medicine and science than the Europeans at the same time. Yes. By far. And even up to, say, 200 years ago, it's arguable that the Chinese and Indian physicians and the Arab physicians are going to be far superior than the European physicians. We were bleeding people. We had our own yeah. alchemy. Right. I say we as somebody's primarily of European descent. So we had alchemy. We had imitative magic. We had sympathetic magic. There are, there are, we'll talk about what these things are, but just as an example of, of uh, like sympathetic magic, you, you've got in the West this idea that things that look like other things might be related. So if the plant looks like a penis, then it might be good for, um, uh, uh, for as like an aphrodisiac. Right. Well, that's true in China where they're trying to sell me cobra wine for this purpose. Right. And, it's tr and it's true in the West if somebody's going to sell me something, I don't know, uh, like I, I don't know what the, the phallic plant would be, I suppose, a carrot. But So uh, that kind of thinking tended to be debunked over time. The idea that we would bleed people with leeches was debunked over time for the most part. There, you know, certainly still some therapeutic uses uh, of leeches that they still have around today. But the idea is, I guess to your point, 200 years ago, 
we were all in a similar boat with some, I would argue, advances in the East. Mm-hmm. Well, much more, much more advanced in the East and the West. Then the West gets really excited about the scientific revolution. And whether or not that is going to encompass the totality of what we need to know of life, we would say it's not. Right. Uh, That doesn't mean... I hope not. No, right, right. (laughs) That doesn't mean that the the West, therefore, is better overall, right? So, in other words, that was a lot of words to say this. (laughs) When we're going to speak negatively about an ancient Chinese assumption about food and medicine mm-hmm. or an ancient Indian, in this case today, Indian assumptions. I, I don't think it's fully fair to call them all Hindu because uh, Hindu is, is, is really just a, a term that means Indian religion and it arises with Christianity coming into India and saying, are you Muslim, Christian, or what? Well, they're Hindu, right? So it's a kind of a political, nationalistic kind of thing. But we'll use that term for today. So... So there's this there's this uh, Hindu tradition of food mm-hmm. that is far more robust and and interesting and worth considering in many ways than the Christian if if there's anything like a, a Christian theology of food there isn't really much of it mm-hmm. you know so you don't have a lot of discussion in the Christian West about food so it's great for us to look at some other culture right. and then say what is the good stuff and what's the stuff that maybe isn't holding up to science but if any of it's going to be valuable to us. In life, anything that's going to be valuable is if it's allowing us to be open and flexible and flowing with the Tao of existence, right? right? It's not going to do us any good if you can't be flexible. And that's why it's a great quote. Yeah. Well, and and there was somebody else that was basically saying that if you you want to use like this, you know, some of this diet or way of thinking or, you know, or, um, or anything at all, if you're looking to treat yourself or whatever... You got to do a lot of research. Yes, <laughs> and he especially said, with something like this. And he said, basically, and the the real truth of it is, is that we really aren't willing to put forth the amount of research that we would need to to, to really separate out what aspects might actually help you based on your ailment, right? And, and what would actually be more harmful. So just stay away from it all. <laughs> so default in not trying it until you do your research is right. you know kind of and I and and that would be, I would say, wise about any of these diets that yes. we hear of. But, interestingly, the, the flip side of that is we too often in the West don't think about this stuff. I know. And we're not mindful about it. And therefore, our default is set for us by corporations. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's easier for doctors in the West to prescribe a medication than to really understand the diet related to my gout, for instance. Right. I'm terribly disappointed in, in <laughs> at least my, my general practitioners. I'm just straight up disappointed in, in my general practitioners' understanding of what I should eat and not eat. As well as, I mean, there's a lot of people that we've talked to recently that have all experienced gout. Yeah. And none of their doctors know. Or have the same answers yeah and it's like like literally everybody's in the same boat but it's a fairly common thing or becoming increasingly common i think so you know one of the things therefore that maybe we can start there that we should find very attractive and helpful is the idea that it is best for us to think comprehensively Mm -hmm. right we talk about if ayurveda uh, means the the science of life it's Mm -hmm. it's it's holistic Right, that's really, really great. And the way that we don't have that holism is that we take these shortcuts. I've got something that's not going to fix my diet, but it'll reduce the inflammation. So I'm going to solve the problem that's manifesting in my foot rather than the whole systemic problem of my diet and my right. lack of balance. Right. So that's the, the, the yeah, 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 part. which is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, can you just give us a basic overview of like what this the idea behind this and the diet? basically, yes. um, just so that people yeah, can right. wrap their brain around even I think what we're good. talking about. We've talked about the subject and, yes. and being careful with it and all these other things in this history. Now let's, let's, let's get, yeah, it. get a little bit more. Yep. Yeah. Uh, actually, let me use a, a, a quotation from Jyoti Shankar Tripathi. Uh, this is something that uh, I can link to at protectyournoggin.org. And this is where he's going to uh, kind of... Uh, kind of look at some of the science and the nutrition, though, again, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't really get as, <laughs> as deep into it as I'd like, but his definition's pretty good. Quote, Ayurveda explains that food should be eaten mindfully and with gratitude, and that it must be fresh, of the highest quality, 
digestible, delicious, lovingly prepared, and satisfying to the senses. And okay, so that's a good like opening beautiful pitch for it, and I think that's it's fair enough. What does it what does it actually look like? Well, in very practical terms, you're going to have food that is seasonal. Uh-huh. Food that is tied into your individual personality type. Right. Which is which is interesting. It's going to avoid certain foods that are going to inflame the qualities that you don't want. Right. And you want it to be food that is not overly pro- processed. So something that is maybe a, a decent food, but then it's frozen, repackaged, has preservatives in it. It could actually so fresh. Change. Fresh was yeah right. Thing, so right? fresh, local, seasonal, all these things that we think are good, mindful, holistic, and personally dialed in. Right. Right. Um, I think that's a good enough place to stop. But um, but. But really what it gets to is a lot of kind of special terminology that comes from Sanskrit, right? So there are these, these, these ways in which you're understanding the categorization of food, the categorization of people, and then fine-tuning what elements and tastes are going to fit your personality type. Right. So that first part, a lot of diets talk about that. We talked about that with the macrobiotic diet cults, <laughs> right? Like, that's great. You want fresh, local, organic. These right. are all good things. And Ayurvedic cooking is also going to incorporate, incorporate that. some yeah. of those things, right? Yeah. Did I mention that when we went into that, that spirituality book, we got this this tech, this book that I mentioned? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I mentioned the name of it, though. It's Amadea Morningstar. The title is Ayurvedic Cooking for Westerners. has an interesting introduction to everything and, and how then she plays it out is she she uses foods that make more sense to the Western diet and the, the right, Western... Right, uh, she translates it for with Western spices and things like that. Yeah. And so basically the idea is, like, if you think of the first body type as more airy, those are, like, the more creative types. Um, but then with also the creativity comes, like, sometimes the anxiousness. So what they might need is more grounding. And... And then for the people that are like more like the fire types, they're like the more strong, um, they're goal-oriented, they're impatient, they're more controlling. And what they might need in their food is, is more calming, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's like the earthy types that are like the grandma energy, kind of like the ones that are going to care for everybody else, but they might you know, feel a little more sluggish. Um, they often like, um, might need a little more self care or like, you know, and have more boundaries, but what they might need is more stimulation. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I do think is kind of interesting about all of this is, you know, if you're feeling like, you know, if you're feeling like too, maybe not connected, you know, do you need more grounding or, you know, are you feeling fiery, (laughs) you know, and then maybe you need more calming, um, you know, or sluggish, right? And then maybe, you know, maybe you do need some stimulation. So I think that idea of basically like taking an inventory of where you're at in your current state. And then the thing with like when with them like sort of applying food for the different types, if you do make and cook that food, there could be that placebo effect of I'm doing something about my fieriness right now. You know, I'm going to make, you know, something, you know, that's much more, you know, like not spicy at all. Maybe, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like that more, you know, those calming foods. But yeah, no, that psychosomatic effect is is something that comes up throughout all of this. And it's really powerful and, and helpful in the same way, for instance, that like, you know, one of our yoga instructor friends, you know, she'll, she'll have the crystal and she'll say, bring this with you to your mat for healing or right, for insight. Right. It, if you think of it as a way to focus your intention, right. that so could be really helpful. Right. It's just a little tool, a little reminder. You know, just kind of the yeah. same way that you might put, what, like a rubber band on your finger if you're not <laughs> supposed to forget something, right? I don't know. Is it maybe a string? The or rubber string. band's going to cut off the <laughs> yeah, circulation. I, I did think about that. Yeah, but. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a little rubber band. <laughs> no, a string is right. <laughs> something. But. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly like that. And we, we, we tend to see this in Taoist meditative practices, for instance, mm-hmm. where they... They say, you know, imagine this point of uh, entry of, like, spiritual energy two, three inches of, in front of your forehead. Well, it's just helpful to visualize. You don't necessarily have to think that there is this 
point of entry from the Tao into your soul right. through that. But by visualizing, it can be helpful. W- when you look at all this, what are some of the other things that you found that were helpful takeaways? Let's start there. So you've got this ancient 5,000-year-old Indian tradition. It involves herbalism, alchemy, esoteric knowledge, general diet in the daytime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's got some great principles. We want to think through uh, our life. And, but what, what, are, what, are, what are some of the other takeaways that are, that are I think, positive? Um, well, I would, I would say, obviously, if you are in touch with what is, you know, what's being seasonally grown, I think it's an important thing. I think it, food usually tastes better when it, you know, <laughs> when you get it fresh right there, you know, when it's time to eat it. So being aware of that, I think, and then it, that helps actually, I think, just with knowing where you are in the calendar year as yes. well, you yeah. know, that, and, that, and that time is, yeah, that time is, is, you know, passing and here's where, you know, here's where we're at right now. I think that, as I mentioned before, if, if you sort of maybe stop and think about where your current mood is, you know, and then, you know, is, is there, is there something, you know, that I need to do that would bring me nourishment to help balance that? I think that, um, because what the idea behind what they're saying is what you've got already too much of, you should introduce sort of the opposite of that. Yeah. So and finding balance really important. Exactly. And so, you know, if, if I'm realizing I'm too sluggish, well, maybe, you know, maybe it is some stimulation in my diet um, or maybe, you know, I do more exercise or something like that, you know, but, but that idea of sort of assessing your current state and then, trying to really make a, a concerted effort to to do the opposite, to push yourself through to where you can find that, that balance. Yeah. Oh, I, I think you got most of what I, what I thought was helpful. I also, I think for me, because I'm a curious guy and I like exotic things, that studying something like these principles of Ayurvedic cooking could be helpful because it's fun. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, oh, this is fun. This is a fun way to think about my food. It's a fun way to explore and be creative and think about it magically because it's fun. Right. Right? Like, right. I mean, I, there's so many times I would eat things with my folks when we were little and it would mean something to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we would have shrimp and rice when we watched samurai movies. I don't know. But there was this there was this fun connection and... Like, you know, my dad would say, hey, if you got a great blue heron flying through <laughs> a pond, that's a good sign because mm-hmm. the Native Americans thought this. Whether or not it is, it's, it's fun. Yeah. So, yeah. so in that sense, you know, here I'm this, this dude who studies at the academic level the history of religions and stuff. And so I could see this as something that brings an interesting conversation culturally. Right. Right. And then I have one more thing, too, yeah. is, you know, I... I watched like a little video where, uh, you know, somebody tried it for a week. Um, and like one of the things that became apparent is that you have to sit there and make your own food. And so that does take time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But that's also a time you're putting in yourself into yourself. You know, you know, at that moment it's self care. So that's kind of, you know, it's interesting. Cause then you also know what exactly are you feeding yourself? You know, what are you putting into your body? So that, made it harder also to shop, you know, because you're shopping for new foods and things like that. But so all these things, though, that I think are important is, you know, sometimes to, to sometimes stop and prepare a meal for ourselves, right? Yeah. To really think about, you know, what is it that my body might need in, in nourishment right And now. what does this ingredient mean? Yeah. Now, the other things I added to my list of, like, the positives, things that are good takeaways, one, food is medicine. Mm-hmm. Right, using our food to help our 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 whole selves yeah. be healthy and happy. Mm-hmm. Love that. I also need to think more about the different constitutions. I'm not convinced about the categorization that the, they have. Right. They're experts, but I do realize that when I was thinking primarily in terms of almost like a universal nature of food and bodies, mm-hmm. I was being un- uncaring and unhelpful and a little bit uh, self righteous. For instance. When you're not tolerating spice. Yeah. When I eat something spicy, I get happier. Right. It stimulates me in the way that I need in my personality type. And uh, I realize that it makes you angry. According to Ayurvedic teaching, that's 
exactly what I should expect, which is you don't want an overload of stimulation. You respond... Not, yeah, especially if I'm already stimulated in other areas. Right. Then it becomes, yeah, overload, complete overload. So I'm often in need of more stimulation, like we're stuck here at at this uh, RV park, which is great, because we (laughs) said we are going to plug in. Get some we are not going to boondock today. No, yeah. thank you. And uh, you know, so with with in that in that sense, we walked up and we got some uh, uh, you know some vegetarian options from our Mexican restaurant. That was the only thing in the walking distance. And I wanted a lot of spice. I asked them for extra spice because <laughs> I needed that because I've been stuck. Yeah. In my truck, right? right? Right. You, on the other hand, might not want that added stimulation. No, I don't want that. I'm, I want something a little more comforting because it's like we're here in a new spot. We've been on the road for a long time. You know, there's, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of change. You know, it, it's a lot of fun. But sometimes when I want to eat, I just want to feel comfort. <laughs> and, and, and I need to be respectful of that because I think you're just being weak. You're just being wimpy, right? Mm-hmm. When in fact, what I interpret as a good taste or good flavor, according to these principles, is either my overindulgence in that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to pull back on that. Maybe I need to calm it down because I'm a you know <laughs> really energetic guy. Right, sometimes. more grounding food. Maybe I need to ground it a little bit more, and maybe sometimes you do need to to peak it up. Yes. But so without without just focusing on what they say, these experts say, I think that's really really helpful. And I really like the idea of the intuition piece, which is what are you categorically what you know what what is this well um you're going to do the self-assessment and and very often which makes me nervous you've got to go to the practitioner and i'm sure there's a bunch of letters by somebody's name and if you're listening and you're into to this try to send us a note try to show us where we're where we're off i get that you know i am convinced though that it's true if this works you're probably going to have to go to a professional to 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 fine-tune it this is not right. something very easily done. You can adapt some of the principles in your own diet, but if you really want to make this work, if it works at all, you're, gonna, you're usually going to need to go to a practitioner who's able to fine-tune the diet that you need. And I th- think they might... I don't know. Some, there was somebody I just didn't do my research was saying that um, they had kind of changed some of their regulations of being able to be called a practitioner. And so some people with less experience are actually considered practitioners. Oh, you this. mean they're opening it, they're making it more... Yeah, and so it the the, uh, broad. the, the problem with that is, you know, the that there are some things that, I guess, surgeries and things that are being done that are killing people. <laughs> That's uh, what... Yes. Allegedly. Right, okay. So the, And this is especially true in parts of the world where they don't have access to what we think of as Western medicine. Yeah, and, and what that was an, another aspect of this, that sometimes people are turning to this because they can't afford the other expensive medical care. Now, our dear friend Mana, who did some research uh, as an undergraduate uh, on probiotics and uh, the oral biome, uh, that is the question she was looking for is, could you use probiotics right. to help people's oral health uh, or to help people's oral health in developing countries where they didn't have great dentistry? Right. She's studying to be a dentist right now, but she wanted to say, what, what are some practical ways that would be inexpensive and immediately effective? So we're not saying that that's not valuable. It's that it's worth noting that a lot of this becomes especially important for two groups of people, very well-off privileged Westerners who have all the medical care they need, but maybe get to a point where that medical care is no longer working. And so they look for something else. So then they look for another alternative. Yes. Or people who can't afford to go to the doctor once. Right. And so they're trying to find a way to, uh, more naturally or however, yeah. you know, to try to, they fight can't it. afford a prescription. So let's right. deal with food, you know? And, and, and if that's you, God bless you. I, I understand that. Like that's sometimes that's where we start. Cause we don't have a lot of hope in alternative options. Sometimes I'm just so afraid to go to the doctor that I seek herbal supplements as an alternative, but maybe that's not really the most helpful. Right. And you noticed in, in uh, some of the things you came across that for a lot of people, it could be expensive. Yeah. I, Yes, and, and it depends, too, probably on what recipes you're trying to create because if you're 
you know, a lot of these spices and things like that, they're going to be expensive when you're purchasing them for the first time. <laughs> so when you're going shopping uh, for like a lot of these fresh ingredients, sometimes, you know, that can be expensive too, you know, and especially mm. if you're buying the local stuff, sometimes buying local organic stuff, obviously it's, it's expensive. Totino's it's, pizza, a lot cheaper. Right. So I don't know, um, do they care about something being organic with this diet? You know, I mean, I think that's that's definitely uh, implied, okay. right? Like that, you that so. that's, you know, th- those things, if you're going organic, you're getting on the right track. Right. Yeah. But so then the grocery bill goes up. And so mm-hmm. how, you know, can my budget even, oh, yeah. you know, continue to maintain this this diet? But this is true for most of us. Mm-hmm. And the remedy isn't to say, well, let's go to McDonald's. The remedy is let's make local organic food easier to access for all human beings. Right. And in some cases, poorer communities actually have better access to that uh, than we do in suburban West. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In suburban Especially West. if they, yeah, they still have their farms and things. Yes. Right. And we often are so detached that the best we can do is get to Subway and get maybe the, the <laughs> best, uh, you know, healthiest item on at Subway, right? With Instead processed of, meat. You know, depending on where you go, though. And this is what we notice as we've been traveling, right? Mm. It's hard to find those those spots. So we're now we're kind of going into the that zone of the negatives where there might be a cost, but I don't want to account that as a negative in the ultimate sense that that many of these principles are only expensive because of the values that our society has created. Right. You know, um, cruel uh, farm, uh, factory farm pro- processed uh, food right. is, is sometimes all people can afford. But that's also a problem. That doesn't mean that you should just stick with it. You know, you should say, well, what, well let's yeah. change the way we think about it. We saw that. Let me, um, let me just use, though, uh, uh, Amadea Morningstar's summary. She's got a summary that I thought was helpful. Seven-step summary, just so you could say, what if you really wanted to say, I want to put this into practice. She's got a cookbook. Here's some things you could use. Here's some things she says that are worthwhile. One, start cleaning up your diet. Lighten up on the chemicals, fast foods, fried, fermented, and frozen foods. Generally cool. That takes me, uh, I suppose, to one of my negatives, which is I think fermented foods Mm -hmm. are something we really should recover. And uh, I found them to be very helpful. Your kimchi, your... uh, uh, like the sauerkraut, uh, all the probiotic value there. Do you think? Do you think that that's just related to sort of like the preserving of food type? I think of that's stuff yeah. And, and I think avoiding, that's, but I think know, that's that. right. Intuitively, you don't want your food to not be fresh. Mm-hmm. So when you pickle something, it's it's for storage. Yeah. But uh, okay, so when you can, you want to have the thing fresh right off. You know, farm the right. table. You want right. you want it fresh and 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 unprocessed. But if you're going to store something, it seems much better to to ferment it like a kimchi instead of, uh, you know, f- mm-hmm. doing what we tend to do with the modern processing in, right. in the West. Right. And uh, and certainly there's some kinds of things that that are just just feel delightful, like those, you know, uh, all, all those things we got it in uh, Tennessee at the farmer's market yeah. that had been uh, like that had been fermented. Those the green fermented beans. Food. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Now, again, maybe it's maybe it's hurting my balance. I don't don't know. And definitely uh, for many of us, we don't have a lot of it. And they also don't reject them altogether. I mean, that's that's one of the things about this, which is you might have a little bit of something that's uh, that's that's a food that would be aggravating a bad condition. But you have it in in like in some kind of balance. Right. So you don't have to be perfect about it anyway. Also, because, uh, I mean, obviously, if they don't like the fermentation, they wouldn't like alcohol. But that does rule out all alcohol yes. as well. Right. No, no. The alcohol ain't no good. So I'm all excited. Let's, all right, let's get fresh. Let's get vegetarian. Let's let's do this with some spirituality and balance. And, and I dig that. And uh, to, be, to be fair, it's not that you have to rid these things from your diet altogether. But they're generally to be minimized and avoided. Generally. We'll, gotcha. just, we'll just go with this. So you've got these different personality types. And so if you want something that's going to be calming, grounding, lubricating, um, and just generally where you want to stay, you want this sweet VPOC uh, type of food. And so that's, 
we really can't talk about it until we, we give at least a little bit of the, the underpinning of the, the theory. You've got sattvic, rajasic, and tamasic foods. There's these three basic types of food, and you want to stick to the sattvic. These are things that are going to be calming and, um, and, and soothing and not aggravate you into being a bad person. Depending on your body type, right? Depending on your body type. And also, as we said, like your, your, the things you need to be doing. So if you're a warrior, you might want something that's more rajasic and uh, that's going to fire you up. And so it's, it's something that I didn't realize early on when I was kind of thinking about vegetarianism uh, and, and religion. You think, well, Hindus are going to be vegetarian. Kind of. It depends on your caste. Mm. That's one of the things that we don't see talked about a lot here because it's not as popular in the West. But if your caste um, is to be a warrior, then you would eat meat. And if you're supposed to be meditative, then gotcha. you wouldn't. Gotcha. Because, the, because a spicy food or a, or a food that's going to fire you up, just kind of like the dog. <laughs> when she has her, her meat. Well, we, to be fair, also, we've been giving her some, some vegan food. And so yeah. all of a sudden, when We're she interspersing gets... it, friends. So we'll give her, <laughs> you know, some fish. And then... Yeah, she gets a whole bunch she, of different things. Gets... But when she has her her beef she's just like all over it she and then she has all this energy she and runs around and she starts up. growling uh, yeah yeah crazy. she gets fired up so that's probably the <laughs> phenomenon that these ancients 3000 4000 5000 yeah. years ago were observing and and that's what makes it relatively scientific i mean not relatively scientific totally scientific in the sense that it, it is emerging out of observation. Yeah. And people are then going to create a hypothesis that these foods create these effects on gotcha. the person. So, and they do, right? Food right. affects us right. in different ways. How it affects us, that's the part where some people become blinded, self-consciously, willfully blind to falsification. Yeah. Right? So, so... Maybe it's right, maybe it's not, right? These categorizations. So the, the sattvic um, is, is your general, like, well-being, balanced kind of foods, calming foods. And they're, they're all, you know, wonderful foods here. You know, you love all this. Uh, blueberries and carrots and celery and, and millet and oats and okra, all these wonderful things. And so I like that. That's good. Mm-hmm. You know, everything in there doesn't seem to be weird or problematic. What's what's interesting is, for the person who's going to be spiritual and meditative, here are some rajasic foods that are to be minimized. You know, you can have some, but you don't want too much. Avocado, eggplant, and we already mentioned the fermented foods, garlic, kidney beans, lemon, olives, and peanuts. Some of our favorite things. Avocados? Well, not just our favorite things. Our peanuts? favorite things, if we're going to go vegetarian. And this takes us back to the, 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 the question of the food cult, the macrobiotic food cult. Yeah. If you're so concerned about following the magic of this. Right. That you fail to have a complete, a truly complete diet, then you're missing the point. <laughs> Right, because right? you're going to have other health issues. Yeah. If you're trying to go vegetarian, <laughs> but you're, you're worried... On, on like on of your own adaptation of this Ayurvedic principle yeah. that uh, you then eat just oatmeal and you don't eat olives and you don't eat avocados, you know, at all. Well, you're missing out a couple op- op- opportunities. Oh, kidney yeah. beans, mm-hmm. right? Peanuts and olives. Beans. These are all sources of protein that are non animal based. Mm-hmm. So you, if you, th- and if you think of these as something to reject and again, I, I could already see it. Somebody call in or write in and say, what are you talking about, you numbskulls? You don't get rid of them altogether. That's true. You don't, our air conditioning just went out because probably there's a brownout or a blackout in the, in the area. But that's good because at least the, the sound will be better for you, dear listeners. Are you going to turn it off so it doesn't? Uh, I also forgot to mention uh, soy milk and radishes oh, and you peppers. Love, you love radishes. These are all rajasic foods. And then there are the foods that make you lazy and lethargic and they take away your, you know, your vital energy to use a a Taoist, uh, to borrow a Taoist uh, way of thinking, uh, tamasic foods. And um, generally there's some great stuff here, right? You know, alcohol, beef, drugs, fast food. Mm -hmm. These are things, all right, fried foods, that's no good. Um, 
But some of the other stuff that I'd really like to keep constantly in the flow of my diet are also listed. Uh, For instance, onions (laughs) of all kinds. Shallots, of course, right? Because it's connected. Leeks. Garlic's got to be on there. No, garlic... um, Garlic was listed as uh, as a rajasic. Oh. You know? So garlic, apparently better than onion. You'd think it maybe go the other way around. Because onion, I suppose if you cook it, might be different, right? But when it's fresh, it's... Well, and think of how um, like spicy a whole bunch of garlic can be. Yeah. I mean, you've had a whole bunch of yes. garlic at one time, right? Like, it can be really spicy. Yes. Well, I sometimes, when I'm having my, uh, my uh, ramen, I'll just chomp on a whole, <laughs> you know, clove of it, you know, a raw... Yeah. Peace, yeah. Um, But onions and mushrooms. So, man, if I were to look at this and I'm trying to get into a vegetarian life, which (laughs) I am, right? I bought this book. Here's here's really the disappointment. We go into the spiritual bookstore. We see a book on this this tradition, and we want to look into it. This is great. I just have to express that I'm somewhat disappointed. I I was hoping to find something in it that might work better for me. And what at least is not seeming to work really well right now is if I'm going to limit these types of food, onions, mushrooms, uh, you know, leeks and and kidney beans, I I don't know. And and olives and I don't know what I'm what I'm going to work with. That's really (laughs) going to sustain me. And this then becomes the biggest problem. I think that it's so complicated mm-hmm. that people will either run the risk of, of misusing it, right? Not getting enough health and nutrition. Right. They run that risk. Right. Or they run the risk of just going back to a crappy diet because they can't perfect this. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I think that's not really an argument against it as a system, but it is an argument against dabbling in it and then just going back to an unhealthy lifestyle because you think, I can't do it perfectly, right. uh, so I'm not going to do it at all. You know. Interestingly, um, there was an article uh, by several authors, but the title is Exploring Ayurvedic Knowledge on Food and Health for Providing Innovative Solutions to Contemporary Healthcare. Uh, this is 2016. Uh, but it's... Um, to me, really interesting because they have a table here, and it's uh, the title of the table is Epistemological Comparison of Modern Biomedicine and Ayurveda. Now, what I, I really like about this is the history of epistemology. That is my field. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I love that, right? right. Um, I won't list all of the differences, but I think it's very helpful for us as we look at the, the way we might criticize this, uh, at least for this publication, which occurred in Front Public Health. Uh, I think... Uh, it, it helps to see the ways in which studying it and then examining it might be uncharitable if we don't understand they have different, perhaps different goals, right? right. So to study what this thing is, but apply the Western methodologies that work really well for Western medicine mm-hmm. is part of the problem, right? It's kind of like when Christians say, hey, Buddha never died for your sins. And the yeah. Buddha says, that's not really what we're worried about. We're not worried right. about getting rid of our sins for the next life, you are. So we're bad at that. But if you're interested in finding peace in the midst of a world of turmoil, maybe you can focus on some of the stuff we've got. Right. So, right, like each religion gets a different grade at different levels. You Mm -hmm. know, as uh, I think uh, Stephen Prothero said, um, you know, Christians historically have been more interested in social justice than Hindus. That's not always true. Um, Jews more. Yeah. interested in social justice than Christians. It's just part of the history, part of the emphases and what the, the game's about. Well, personal salvation is a big piece to the, uh, to the Christian. Uh, the restoration of the world is a bigger piece to Jews, so Jews are going to be stronger in that area. And then working through your own karma is often going to be what happens for the, uh, in the Hindu. Now, the Hindu's going to say, hey, look, um, Part of that is my compassion helps me to to work out my karma. I get all that. But there is a way in which people staying in their caste is a concept that can solidify injustices. Mm -hmm. And it's just worth, you know, it's worth noting those things. There's, we've got blind spots, we've got strengths in the different religions. In any case, uh, here's this table one. And and I think it helps. Um, If we think about location, uh, the modern 
Western medicine approach is to focus on the organ that is localized. You've got a problem with this spleen, this knee or whatever. And so you're going to address it there. You're going to inject cortisone into Mm. that, you know, or whatever. Um, Whereas Ayurveda is systemic. And I like that. I think that's a, that's a good thing that Ayurveda can bring in. Uh, Western medicine deals primarily with single causality, whereas Ayurveda deals with multiple causality. Again, I think that's really good, right? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's work all these things together. And therefore, if you want to dabble with this Ayurveda stuff, uh, also make sure you go to your, your doctor and at least get that standard Western um, insight. Right. You know? The nature of the assessment then in the West will be primarily quantitative. You're looking at, you know, peer-reviewed studies that deal with stats, you know, and um, primarily qualitative in Ayurveda, right? So you're talking things through. The diagnostic approach in the West, universal, um, the diagnostic approach in the West emphasizes the universalization of standards and Ayurveda focuses on individualization. I also think that's something we can recover. Mm-hmm. For instance, with me, when I go to the doctor and I'm trying to get prednisone for my, for oh, my, uh, so my uh, yeah. uh, poison oak, mm-hmm. I have to have this long conversation with people and th- I've done more research. I've read more on And then they get frustrated this. because you do know. And I, they think I want too many pills or something. And no, I just want it spread out over... Right. A little bit longer, whatever. And there's there's different things that they do push back on me. They say you don't want to be taking yes. cortisone or, or, or prednisone for that sugar, long. Yeah. I get that. But um, but the idea, though, is that there is something that most people would benefit from. Most people can deal with their poison oak using Benadryl and some topical cortisone. That's all I need. That's all you need. I, on the other hand, really do need a, an injection, yes. basically. Otherwise, it goes on for a long period of time. Well, and it starts to mess with your head even. It, like, oh, it you, you does. Can't think <laughs> it does. It gets it, in your whole body, oh, your yeah. whole system. So them understanding me and really listening is something that I've had a hard time getting to, yeah. right? Um, I've had a hard well, time, you know, that's hard. with doctors in general. Well, doctors, but think about it. Like, even now with more and more things being automated and stuff, you... you try to call a company up and you can't get your individual yeah. need taken care of. Like it's not really fitting in within the options. And then, Oh, I'm sorry. We don't, you know, I can't help you with that. Goodbye. And it's like, Oh, it could be infuriating. Right. Yeah. And but but yeah. it's the way I guess it, you can be more efficient because you can get a lot more done when you just group things. Right. Or, yeah. and that, that happens with emails too. Oh yeah. I you don't ask need the whole a real thing. question yeah. on a website yeah. And all I get is this response answer that does not even address, because it may be just because it clued in on a keyword. Yeah. It but, doesn't address your question. Right. They just saw that you were dealing with this, and so they cut and paste an answer. It's probably a robot. That's what our highly paid but uh, overworked physicians tend to be dealing with these days. Yeah. Uh, kind of like the old Dr. Laura call-in shows. Mm-hmm. You know, she'd go, oh, I know what you're up to. <laughs> yes. And then she'd have her pat answer, answer to, right. to whatever that problem was. And people would try to say, no, Dr. Laura, I think you're missing this key piece, but she couldn't hear it sometimes. Yeah. We all do this. Our doctors do this. Right. And so the doctor wants to know, which of the pharmaceuticals that I am legally allowed to prescribe should I prescribe? Right. As well as they know that when they do anything that sort of goes yeah, off, if it veers off that veers off that course, then they're liable, right? And can get sued. Individualization in Western medicine might create more legal liability. Yes. Yeah. Even just taking something that's like like off uh, off uh, label uh, kind of uh, uses for things mm-hmm. is an interesting uh, aspect of of modern medicine. In, in all cases, though, I think the the point. I think for most people would be, you can find great physicians out there, but generally the system in the West is set up that even if the doctor wants to help you more, they don't really have time to get to know you. They got to go on to the next patient. Right. right? So that's a good piece. Another thing about the way the West and uh, the Ayurvedic uh, approaches differ is the domains. So in Western medicine, you're dealing primarily with the physical and to some extent the mental, uh, causes of the disease. Therefore, you do have some psychiatry come into it, Mm -hmm. right? But for the most part, we're still even dealing with mental health in terms of the physical aspect of life. 
But in Ayurveda, you've got physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of illness. Mm. I think that's really great. Right. You know. Right. Uh, I didn't realize how many things I really liked. Maybe these are the <laughs> things I highlighted from this chart. Um, the treatment focus, uh, curative focus in the West. Uh, so you're going to cure it. How am I going to fix this? Am I going to excise it? I'm going to cut it out. Right. I'm going to zap it. You know. Um, whereas in Ayurveda, preventative focus, promotive focus, importance um, is given to drugs, food, and lifestyle all in connection. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it unfortunately seems like it's always, okay, it took your gout for you to start looking at your diet and saying, you know, wait a minute, I got to do something about this because I can't walk, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't take the preventative stuff uh, seriously enough <laughs> yeah. ever yeah. until we have something that definitely cripples, you know, what we're, or um, it definitely hurts our ability to go about our normal life. Right. Right. So usually at that point, it's kind of too late, but it's so crazy how much we try to then quick fix everything with something, you know, like we want to know, like, what is that, you know, that, that pill I can take or yeah. whatever. And, and really this has probably been built up over quite a few years of, yeah. a, you know, of a certain lifestyle, you know, with obviously aging and different things that all come into play. My point is stopping and taking our diets a little more seriously um, until, you know, when you have the choice. Yeah. Is, yeah, right, right. Is Some people better. just eat what they can. You know, I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then, and then also, but when you have certain ailments, it's going to be forced upon you anyway. Right. You know, so, so to yeah. the best of your ability that you can and the choices that you're able to make, it's, you know, it's just, I find it, it's a, it's a wake up call, you know, to me to, just keep being conscious of all that. Here's what I think is the big takeaway from the perspective of protect your noggin. We're here trying to help out fox, uh, religious wolves, including food cult wolves, including those who want to say, here's religious authority for these assumptions about food, mm -hmm. right? To, to really focus the, the problem, the problem is not Western medicine versus Eastern medicine. It's not supplements versus drugs. I mean, those things come in handy. For me, it's the problem of uncritical allegiance to authority. And I see this in even some of these wonderful writers. They're so in awe of Dr. So-and-so. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure where they got their doctorate. I'm sure it's within this tradition at some place that, that is well-known for it. But they're only policing themselves in that regard. Mm. All of these studies that I'm trying to, you know... To, to read through. They spend so much time telling me what are the categories? What's the basic principles? I know, I know, I know. Then they get to their results and they basically very often find it difficult to have a verification or a falsification of Ayurvedic principles mm -hmm. because they are not set up to be falsified. They're not really falsifiable to say that something, um, you know, enhances this energy, um, is difficult if I can't really put an operational definition to what that energy looks like in you. <laughs> gotcha. Right? Yeah. Uh, now, I bet you could, but I, I find that most of the, the folks who've looked into it either take a postmodern approach and say, well, they just have a different set of expectations, which has some value in terms of our hospita hospitality and open-mindedness. Um, but ultimately... Um, in modern science, we can we can make fun of it because it's, I don't know, it's too thin, but it's also really an important achievement of of the world for us to be able to test assumptions through the scientific method. And I think this idea we're we're, we're very interested in spirituality and we're interested in in things that people would say, hey, that's that's. Uh, that's too symbolic or, or magical or something like, oh, you know, I still think that's fun. But that doesn't mean that we should dispense with the scientific method. And it seems like that's not really addressed in, in, in a lot of this. Yeah. Right. Like, so sh sh what's what's the chemical compounds that are in this, this plant? Mm hmm. 
And do I need that? Is that going to hurt me? Right. Am I allergic to it? I sometimes need to know those things. Yeah. Kind of what you're saying here it brings to mind something else that Dr. Hedge had said in his TED Talk. Mm-hmm. And he basically, he started it off saying, um, you know, as you're, you're looking at, like, what do we know today about how the human body works and how to mend it when something goes wrong? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is very simple, but that's really kind of like what we're really after. How? What's our knowledge of the human body? Yeah. And then what do we do when something goes wrong? Yeah. Right? And looking at, so all the different ways of looking at the, the science of it and what we can know about that will keep changing. It, yeah. We're just finding out more and more information. And if we don't allow ourselves to be open to that, that's when our so-called spirituality of food gets in the way. That's when it turns into some sort of religion. Yes, in the bad sense. In the bad sense. Yeah. And it's something that you just... You just don't need any more. <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't help anything. And for friends that want to surf the Tao, surfing the Tao is all about that adaptivity and uh, adaptability and flexibility and uh, being rigid. Right. Whether you're a Christian, Muslim, Jew, or Hindu, uh, it may work in some aspects of your life, but right now it's not looking like the science of food is always syncing up yet. There are also other times when we find, oh my goodness, this is really, really important. Like, let's not have too many processed foods. <laughs> you know, okay, that's good. <laughs> right, that's good. Right. Yeah. So if you're feeling if you're feeling upset right now, I say you go look into what you would do for the opposite of the fiery, <laughs> the fiery <laughs> yeah, yeah. diet. Are you going to douse that fire in your diet? <laughs> Calm that down. But we think about our foods. We, we 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 should care about this. And I think ultimately, even though we were we were intending to kind of do. Not a takedown of it, but just to say, you know, we were kind of really excited about it when we walked into this bookstore. That got us reading a whole bunch of other stuff. We got the we got the recipe book, right? You know, right. and the introduction, and then dug into other bits of research that we were really increasingly interested in until I got to the point where I, I think I realized this is not going to be a predominant way for me to orient my diet. I think there are too many things that I need to focus on in terms of making sure I get the nutritional content dialed in first. Now that I'm moving from a heavily meat-based diet Mm -hmm. to a plant-based diet, I need to focus on getting olives, peanuts, uh, mushrooms and and garlics into my diet. Maybe later on I'll dial it down, but but also seems I, a little boring to me to be yeah, honest. Yeah, so I was going to say you need to find excitement still. <laughs> personally, yeah. you know, personally in your food, and so if you take out all that stuff, I think yeah, you're just uh, you're already done, and then you're back to <laughs> like you said, you would just say do away with all of it, right? Uh-huh. And I just can't possibly do this kind of thing, and so I'll just go back to how I was, which that's then that once again is nowhere. <laughs> and friends, remember, we're, we're doing this as, as us, your, your pals, going and checking some stuff out, using some of the the resources that we've got you know, historically and philosophically to, to, to just you know approach this. Uh, if you are an uh, uh, Ayurvedic pr- practitioner and you want to set us straight, clarify some things, we welcome that, either through an email uh, or come on the show, and uh, we'd love to keep talking about it. If, um, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, I would say... Um, you know, it's kind of fun to sort of look at your diet and then say, okay, what are my, my comfort foods? You know, what is it that I prefer at certain times and what are, you know, because there is, there is stuff that we do to calm ourselves down or, you know, with our our moods and certain things. Right. And And I often used to try to calm myself down with alcohol. Right. So if I was getting a high anxiety, that would be my method. And then looking at the science of that, does alcohol really help overall with calming down anxiety? Apparently it actually does according to the Ayurvedic (laughs) thing, but the problem is then I go too far in the other direction and then I, I zoink myself out. Yeah. And the other thing, so it's, that that mindfulness attached to what are you right. putting in your body? The other thing we had thought of is, you know, we've kind of gotten pretty, you know, just in a habit of coffee. Yeah. And do we actually, you know, like sometimes it's like, oh, would you like another cup? Like, sure, I'll have another cup. Well, yeah. do we really even, first of all, do we need the first cup? Because, you know, we're having a little bit time where we can catch up on our sleep a little bit more. We're not in the thick of our, you know, working schedule of the, the middle of the year, right? Mm-hmm. And we kind of sometimes definitely need that cup of coffee for you to do your 7 a.m. class. But, you know, do we need it now? Probably not. And so then is this a good time for us to pull back from that? That's a really good Ayurvedic principle. And look at that. Individualized, 
the season of life, mm-hmm. the season of the year in the summer, right. maybe you shouldn't be using that. Right. Yeah. So I think that's and, really good. And if we, I will say in the summer too, if we do need that to get our energy going, I mean, I, I understand you're going to probably have the, the caffeine headache or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So once you kind of wean yourself off, but if you still kind of need that as your pickup, pick me up in the summertime, then what else can I do with either what I'm eating, how I'm sleeping or exercising mm-hmm. rather than relying on the chemical, right? Yeah. To get you, get you going. So yeah. Anyway, just food for thought. Oh, so friends feast up in every way that is good and wholesome for you and sustaining and life giving. May you be happy and free. And until next time, peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.